0: You know, I've always said that, number one, you have to do your job well. And so you have to learn. You have to ask a lot of questions. You have to produce, especially in the sales and service teams or area. Uh, But you also have to treat people well, too, and build relationships. And I I think that's what's, again, driven me and probably been my success is the relationship piece, as well as doing a couple things right.
1: That was Jeff Municke. I'm your host, Marnie Gellner, and this is Wolves Plus. I'm on the hustle for the glory, on the grind for the crown. Not to hustle if you
0: want to, if you do, you're going down. Oh! Great catch, great finished Towns to go bear. Come on now. That's playing with flow. Towns for three. Carl Anthony Towns. It is Carl Anthony Towns, fourth quarter. It certainly is. Edwards.
1: Well, it's, it's nice to get you in this room and to have some time to kind of just chat with you, Mune, as we Mjoon, were, um, yes. yeah, we were preparing for this like interview that. and yes. people were saying, oh, Jeff's going to be there, Jeff. And I actually thought, who is
0: Jeff? I don't think I'd answer to it either. So Everybody let's, calls let's you Mune! Yeah, for sure. Including my wife.
1: Including yeah. your wife. Yeah. Everybody calls you Mune. You have been a Timberwolves employee since the very beginning. In fact, your, your hiring date goes back to before the team even played a game. June 20th, 1988. Almost a year and a half before a game, right?
0: The- a- 18 months we spent selling season tickets and corporate sponsorships and publications and, and going through the whole rigmarole with 35 total people. Today we have 220. So the sports industry has changed just a little. Yeah,
1: 35 people 35. on the first staff. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. You are the only Wolves employee who has been here since the very first day, right? The only.
0: That is correct. I am the last of the Legion from June 20, 1988. So I always tell students when I'm out talking to a school, I was working before we had computers or cell phones.
1: Wow. The only original employee. That makes you A1 from day
0: one. A1, yep. I'll take it. I'll take it. It's been a good ride.
1: Let's let's dig into your background a little bit because you're from Lake City, Minnesota, about an hour and a half or so southeast of the Twin Cities, uh, right along the Mississippi River. Beautiful lake town, Lake Pepin, right lake there. Lake Pepin. Yeah. Yep. Uh, home of Randy Brewer. The big a few, brew. Few he, years he, ahead of you. He was a
0: senior when I was when I was a freshman. I moved in from Little Falls. I lived up in the middle of the state, and uh, in ninth grade, my dad came into the dinner table one night and said. Guess what? We're gonna move from this basketball hotbed of Little Falls. We're gonna move to Lake City. By the way, they have a pretty good basketball team. So it ended up working out pretty well.
1: Because you played too, right?
0: Well, here's the deal. So Brew is a senior, back-to-back state titles for Lake City. My three years of varsity, we get beat by Winona Cotter three consecutive years. I think by four, by two at the buzzer, and by two. The year after I graduate, Lake City goes back to state. So I had quite an impact on the ball club.
1: (laughs) Don't read into that too much. Don't read into that. You started your collegiate career at Rochester Community and Technical College and then went on to Huron College in Huron, South Dakota, right?
0: Huron, South Dakota. Yeah, okay. in fact, it's kind of kind of crazy story. Is I was all set to go to Mankato to go play basketball there, and I walked, walked in the, the house one day. Coming back from a recruiting trip to Mankato, my mom said, there's a Coach Paulson on the phone for you. I'm like, Coach Paulson, don't know who that is. And so I answered the phone, landline. And coach paulson how are you he goes i just got this new job out in the middle of south dakota he says i need a shooting guard are you interested so i'm getting an atlas out while i'm talking to him on the phone i'm like you're in south dakota where is this place find it he starts telling me about it, it is a basketball hotbed It was before division one basketball came out to the dakotas mm-hmm. so he said four or five thousand people would come to every game and at the time you're thinking yeah sure okay whatever sure enough i did go out there sight and unseen Loved the experience, met my future wife out there, and had a great basketball experience.
1: And did you have a game, an NAIA playoff game, where you played against Dennis Rodman?
0: So my claim to fame is we were pretty good. My, my junior year was our best year. I believe we were 28-3, and three, uh, ranked in the top five in the country. Uh, we had just a, a really, really great group of guys, too, and well-coached, just a blast. So we made the national tournament. And our claim to fame is we got beat by Southeast Oklahoma State. We held Dennis Rodman to 38 points, 26 rebounds. So I figured I better come up with a plan B if I, if I think I'm going to go out and play in Europe or some other place.
1: You held him to 38-26.
0: Held him to 38-26, yeah. <laughs> in fact, uh, one, one kind of funny story is I, I'd never done this before, but when he was playing for the Pistons, I figured, you know what, I'm just going to go up and say something to him, just see if he remembers. So as he's walking up the floor during warm-ups, Went over and said, hey, Dennis, I had the chance to play against you in college. And he kind of looks at me like, who would you play for? And I said, well, I played for the school out in South Dakota. He goes, we beat you by seven. Oh. I said, you did beat us by seven. But I said, we held you down. 38 and 26, you held me down, huh? So, yeah, yeah, that's my claim to fame. <laughs> you remembered it. Yeah, and so thankfully, there, there's not, uh, again, there's not computers and cell phones back then. So all the photos of him dunking across our, our forehead <laughs> are gone. They're they're, they're they're not there.
1: Hmm. We'll see if we can dig one up. Um, shortly after you graduated college, then you must have interviewed for this job with this NBA franchise that's about to start in Minneapolis. And I had read that that interview, the first interview for that first job didn't go so well.
0: Oh my goodness. So I'm going to back up one step as well. So my first job out of school was a mentor that helped recruit me to play basketball in South Dakota, got named general manager of the Minnesota Strikers, the old indoor soccer team Mm -hmm. here. And so uh, I, I didn't know quite what I was going to do. I sent out all the letters to every, every possible franchise you can think about. And he said, I got this new job. I'd like to take you with me. So my interview consisted of, would you work for $10,000? A and year? Of cor- a year. A year. So 1987. So I was thrilled to death. That was my I cut my teeth on the sports industry with the Minnesota Strikers down mm-hmm. at Met Center. And then a year later, the NBA was coming back. I went through the interview process. I was very, very lucky that coming from soccer, my first boss, Tim Laiwicki also came from soccer. So in the pile of 3000 plus resumes, probably soccer background stood out just a little. Mm -hmm. So I was able to come through the first couple of interviews. My interview, last interview that you referenced was not so great. At the time, I wasn't getting asked a lot of questions, and I was getting probably too confident, maybe even borderline cocky, like Uh-oh. this interview thing. What is this thing? This, this is a piece of cake, I got it. Well, my last interview consisted of basically about a two-hour grilling that I was totally unprepared for. Uh, if you remember Robert Hayes in the movie Airplane? Oh, yeah. first yeah, Yeah, that was me. <laughs> That's what it looked like. It was early June, inside this office, stumbling, fumbling, crumbling through this interview. Walked out of the office with the tail between my legs, told my wife, we had just got married. I said, the dream's done. The NBA is not happening. I'll be working for the Strikers for another year. Got a letter a couple weeks later from Tim. Said, congratulations, you've been hired. Could not believe it. Mm. Thought I was getting punked. I'm looking around and saying, this is really cruel that somebody would do this to me. And uh, I said, show up June 20, 1988, down here to the Radisson downtown. So, okay, I'm one of the 35 uh, members of the team. And one of the nine sales reps, first thing I had to do when I got there, I was ecstatic, of course, but I went up to Tim and I said, Tim, I have to ask you a question. I said, I am thrilled to be here. I, this is my dream job, but I have to ask, why'd you hire me? My interview was awful. He goes, yeah, one of the worst I've ever seen. However, I have never seen someone so excited in my entire life. You're practically coming out of your shoes. I'm taking a chance on you. Prove me right. That's how I got in.
1: Wow. Yeah.
0: Those interviewing skills, that really came yeah. in handy.
1: Yeah, so you got past the sweat and the buckets of drip and and got to the, the positivity and your genuine excitement.
0: I got in, I got in. You know, like I said, I always tell kids when I'm whenever I'm out speaking at different colleges or high schools, they said, bring energy every day. I said, I got mm. lucky. Don't do what I didn't do and not prepare, just bring energy.
1: Well, so the franchise gets up and running and is about to play the first exhibition game. This would have been October 18th, 1989 against the Lakers in the metronome. So just before the regular season. And then as I read it, the the ticket printing company had some kind of an issue they had to let you guys know about. What happened?
0: Yeah, it's, it's one of those stories of Timberwolves lore way back in the day. So... Uh, Metrodome, uh, we were able to have 36,000 people come in for that first game. This is Magic Johnson, James Worthy, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, all the stars. Yeah, those Lakers. First NBA game in Minnesota since the Lakers left. So about a week before that first exhibition game, we were told by the ticket printing company they're not going to arrive in time. So we have 36,000 tickets that aren't in people's hands. So back then, no cell phones, no computers again. We have to landline and call everybody. Please come to Will Call early. Well, most people don't think, well, you don't mean me. You know, you mean everybody else. Well, basically, about 30,000 of the 36,000 decided to come to Will Call about two hours prior to the game. So we have our first game in history. Here comes the tip, Magic Johnson against our new guys. There's about 5,000 people in the building because everybody else is outside waiting to get their tickets at Will Call. I happen to be, along with a couple of other my, 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 my uh, good guys here, uh, happen to be the first... In coming coming through the Metrodome, we were the first table you saw when you came into the Dome. So to, to say we were getting grilled is an understatement. Oof. Yeah, we were human pin cushions there for about two hours. It was rough. People were not happy. They were not happy.
1: Well, eventually things got figured out because the Metrodome had some incredible crowds. The photos and the video of those games in that first season Despite the wins and losses, just the atmosphere of the Metrodome had to be incredible. What do you remember about being in there for Timberwolves games? It was
0: electric. The NBA was back here in Minnesota. You know, as all the stars. is Jordan. is Magic. is Bird. In fact, I was just telling somebody a story the other day uh, when we were playing Boston, which is a big win for us. Tony Campbell goes for 44. We upset Bird, McHale, Paris, etc. I happened to be walking down a back hallway, and I came across Larry Bird. And so this is a guy I had on my wall, you know, along mm. with Magic and Jordan and Dr. J and all these guys. I was so tongue-tied. I called him Barry.
1: Oh, Barry so, Bird.
0: Hey, Barry. And I was so tongue-tied. And so that just shows as a 22, 23-year-old, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I was just just trying to survive life, basically, as much as anything. Um, but th- those crowds were awesome. We broke the all-time attendance record, a million seventy-two thousand people. Mm. That'll never be broke again. Nobody'll ever play in a building as big as the Metrodome again. And so, as we're going down the down the stretch, trying to break the all-time attendance record, we're getting 42,000, 45,000, 48,000 into the Metrodome. So that's upper right field, center field, left field. Yeah. People look like ants down there on the floor, but it was awesome. It was just electric atmosphere.
1: And because it was in the Metrodome, did you ever have like twins players coming out on the court to just? get some shots up at a morning shoot-around or something like that? Because it was their ballpark.
0: This was awesome. So on days of game, because most of our stuff was held down at our office over here on Hennepin Avenue, we had to haul stuff down on a big truck uh, every game day. So we'd have a couple hours just to kind of relax, grab a bite to eat, always sort of playing basketball. So two kind of famous twins would start playing basketball with us. That's Tom Kelly and Kirby Puckett. Oh,
1: kind of famous,
0: yeah. So, yeah, so that was kind of fun. Puck could play a little bit, and Tom Kelly was out there as a as a true coach, directing traffic, telling us what to do. Is a blast.
1: Shooting hoops at the Metrodome is great with TK and
0: TK Kirby and Puck. Yeah, incredible, it was great.
1: incredible. But then obviously the team moves on to Target Center, and there's a wonderful story about the first home playoff game for the Timberwolves. It was against the Rockets in 1997. And somehow you guys got Jesse Ventura to repel from the ceiling down to the court at Target Center.
0: It was so great. It, it, you know, I always loved the first, you know, the first win, first time you make the playoffs, first time you host a playoff game. So it was the Houston Rockets with Charles Barkley, Clyde Drexler, Scottie Pippen. So we had this brilliant idea. At the time, you could repel out of the ceiling. So we talked to Jesse, who is a longtime season ticket member yeah. of ours. And we said, would you consider doing something kind of crazy? Here's the idea, he's in. So we're down there and the place is going crazy. First home playoff game. So I'm down behind the Rockets bench and we see Jesse up up high and he starts coming down, starts repellent and now he's coming. And so Barkley and Pippen and all these guys are wondering what in the world are they doing? Well, we plop Jesse down right in front of the Rockets bench. He rips off his jean jacket <laughs> Take a look at these lateral deltoids. You want a piece of these, Barkley? It was <laughs> hilarious. The Rockets are dying, we're dying, the crowd is going nuts, and then we had a staged intern, somebody on my staff actually, a pretty big guy, 6'8", about three hundred pounds. He became the drunk Rockets fan, so we had him stumble onto the court, and Jesse got to see him, and then of course clothesline, clothesline. him, of course. hit the ground. And the place is going nuts. That's how we started our home playoff games. It was great.
1: And even the Rockets loved it, right? Dying they, laughing. Yeah.
0: yeah, dying laughing. What a series. It was fun. Well,
1: what a, what uh, memories for the franchise. They're, because you've had a hand in so many of these sort of um, entertainment people and skits and any of this kind of stuff. The legendary Jiggly Boy that a lot of us are familiar with was – in Kevin Garnett's heyday, and then when KG came back, Jiggly Boy came back, what role did you play in getting him either the first time or the second time around?
0: Yeah, a- another iconic story. And uh, a good friend of our organization, John Sweeney, who at the time ran Brave New Workshop, uh, we, had, we had been utilizing him to work on some game operations ideas. And he and his, his cast would come up with all these great ideas that we'd film, put them in game, come up with different ops elements and, and it's awesome. And so we thought about this idea, you know, the typical dance cam that you have when you show one end of the arena, somebody dancing, opposite end of the, real, uh, the arena, yeah. somebody dancing. So we showed one fan, he's kind of moving around a little bit, showed the opposite end, kind of zero in on him. And he's kind of like, no, nah, nah, we're no, we're not gonna do that. Go to the opposite end, this guy's going crazy, go to this end, everybody's nudging him, which were actually his kids, like, come on, get up and dance. Go one more time, then we get him to dance. Next thing you know, he's going full-fledged. Shirt's off. Shirt's yep. off, going nuts. Our crowd's going nuts. So then the skit is done. So we had a suite set for him, and so we pretend that we have these two security guards, which are actually two of his staff members, take him out of the arena for taking a shirt off. So I'm up at our guest services area as we're taking him out. And the booing that was going on and the outrage from our fans is – everybody's coming to guest services saying that poor fan what are you doing this guy's just trying to have a good time you guys are encouraging a great time and you're taking this poor fan out what are you doing so I call up to one of our game ops uh, staff members up in the suite really we got to get Sweeney back in the stadium we are gonna have a riot if we don't get him back in there so a couple minutes later uh, we, we take our security crew we bring him back and he comes back into the arena and it was just like a gladiator coming into the Coliseum. It was awesome. It was awesome.
1: <laughs> the impromptu there to kind so of great. flip the switch a little bit and and rewrite the script. I love it. You had to improvise. We had you to didn't improvise. know they'd turn on you.
0: It was crazy. I couldn't believe it. And the amount of booing that was going on, you, you kind of heard it in the concourse, like, what's going on here? Then you realize what's happening from the level of people coming to guest services to complain about right. it. Right. Right. And then, of course, when KG came back, we did it again. And KG acknowledged them and... I mean, Sweeney is great, it is awesome. Couldn't have
1: been more perfect, could not have been more perfect. Speaking of KG, did he once shave your head?
0: He did. So uh, this was another promotion that we did. So uh, back, back, uh, I think it was Kevin, is Steph and Kevin's second year, I think, with us. And so we came up with this idea. At the time, they had just shaved their head. And so because it was a ticket sales idea, they said, well, if we're gonna do this, anybody that shaves their head over at City Center is gonna get two free tickets. So KG comes up to me and says, you're shaving your head, too. I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that, that's fine. We're, we're good. He goes, no, no, we're, we're, we're shaving it. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, sure. Thing he's joking. He goes, we're doing this. So next thing I know, like I'm now, up on stage. we're doing yeah, it now. Yeah. So with the BIC, I mean, he's going across the oh, hair. Good. So w- within about 20 minutes, I'm, I'm bald. I'm bald. Yeah, so I had to go to with the skin. it. Yep, <laughs> to the skin.
1: What do you do? KG wants to shave your head. Your head's getting shaved.
0: I'm shaving my head. Yeah, shaving yeah. the head.
1: <laughs> you have had a few different titles here with the Timberwolves, starting at entry level sales. And tell me if I have this right. Promoted to group sales manager, ticket sales manager, director of ticket sales, VP of ticket sales. Then you ran fan relations and membership area, then vice president of fan experience.
0: I think we hit them all. I and think that's we where you all. are right now. Yeah, that's where Okay, so yep.
1: fan experience that means anything and everything that you see from the second you probably park your car, maybe, or at least enter the building to the time you leave. That's what you, you focus on and you try to make as good as possible?
0: Right, it's, it's all about a connection to the fans, you know, and just thinking about everything in that driveway to driveway experience. Like you said, whether it's parking, it's coming through the security areas, it's how you're greeted at the gates, it's how you get your seat, it's the concession experience and that narrative. And so we're just always looking and saying, okay, if you're inviting someone to your house, how do you want that to look? I want it to be clean. You want to have some bumping tunes going. You want to have great food. You want to have a really friendly atmosphere. Yeah. So we're thinking the same thing here. And our goal really is every interaction should be one of treat them like the most important person in the room. We do that as a staff. We're going to hit some home runs. Because
1: you want to be a good host.
0: Great host. You want to, be a exactly. you
1: want them to have a good time. That's yeah. it. So- You also, you take a lot of photos. You take a lot of selfies with ushers, with workers, with concession stand, with people, military, with fans. Like how many selfies do you think you have taken with people at Target Center in your lifetime?
0: That is a great question. I think my library is pretty full. Uh, It's every game I'm doing something to help showcase the staff, which Mm. they really like and they enjoy. And what's been really fun is when you do post one of those, the number of fans that will say, oh, I love Tom the Usher, he's great. Or I love Kathy the Usher, she's awesome. Or Phil the security guard. Mm -hmm. So it really creates a really nice interaction with all the fans.
1: And sometimes those people don't get noticed. They don't get recognized. Sometimes you don't even know their names, but you help us know their names.
0: Yeah, a lot of behind the scenes and we we love honoring those staff members every day at halftime, which is really fun. And so uh, we're very lucky we get to work alongside some awesome people.
1: Halftime, speaking of halftime, the halftime acts are part of the fan experience. And there are some all-time legendary. The guy who stacks all the chairs oh, The amazing yes,
0: The amazing slottic. So good. The dogs yeah. who
1: run down the runway and get to the tennis balls. The red panda who on the unicycle flips the bowls up Panda's on top great. of her head. Yeah. Panda's How great. much input do you have in halftime performances and who and what and getting to know them?
0: It's really more our game operations and live entertainment group. But I will certainly enhance and and talk about it to our fans and do a lot of polls, who do you like to see, use that feedback in our Mm -hmm. surveys to bring back to our game operations staff. And so I'll never forget the first time we did the concert, Vanilla Ice. The loneliest place in the building had to be out in the concourse at our concessions area because there was nobody not watching Vanilla Ice. And that went on to every team copying and emulating what we're doing, and now we're all trading those ideas. It's, it's yeah. been a big hit.
1: And now we, there are a lot of halftime performances. It's like a, just a snippet of a concert, a two-song concert. But if you've got a big hit, boom, great and halftime And it's usually
0: kind of more one or two or maybe three hit wonders. And people like nostalgia, so that's been really fun. But yeah. Vanilla Ice was our first, and that was a huge hit for our fans.
1: When um, <clears throat> when we used to talk about fan engagement, like you use that term, it used to be when you saw someone at a game or made a phone call to a fan if you're trying to track down a ticket holder or something like that, season ticket holder. Now, fan engagement is Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, direct messages, reels, emails, on and on and on and on and on. For someone who values fan engagement. It's overwhelming for me to think about. What does your phone and computer look like at any given point during the day?
0: It's a bit of a mess and so it's constant but you know you look at it is we're kind of on 24-7 and there's some good and bad to that. You, you can take a couple of breaks but the beauty of it is that we have so many different ways to connect and we always ask our fans what's the best, best way to connect with you. So some might say I just want to do coffee every once in a while, just catch up and see what's happening with the team. Next person might say, I don't really need much, but I do travel. If you could help me with tickets and Golden State or San Antonio, that's all I need. Next person might say, you know what? My kids love Crunch. Can you get a photo with my kids and Crunch? We're going to try to do that. Um, So, so it's really personalizing the relationship all the way through to make sure. And all those vehicles are just really, really awesome ways to connect all, all those opportunities with the fans.
1: If you picked up your phone right now, what would it look like? Would I be? Would I get anxiety looking at your screen?
0: I, I think you probably would. There's, there's a like, lot notification, of notification. Notification. There's notification. a lot of red buttons with a lot of numbers on it.
1: But that's your, You get used to that. You're you're you okay do. with it.
0: You do. Yeah. Got to balance it off somehow. Yeah, yeah. A little
1: bit. You must have collected so much memorabilia throughout your time. Giveaways, promotional items. What kind of? memorabilia collection do you have where do you keep it
0: it's a great question so over the course I really started this during COVID it was uh, putting different photos out on the social channels just to say here's a trip down memory lane people loved it they reacted to it people always say your garage must be a mess the dirty secret is that I don't keep much I take photos of it And keep that in my library, but not so much the items. The The items, yeah.
1: Where does the item go? Back to the team? Back to the team, or am
0: I give it away, um, or you know, whether it's neighborhood kids or different fans, that type of thing? I have a few kind of precious things that are pretty cool. I got maybe about 10 to 12 autographs of really significant NBA players, including a couple of ours, but not a big collection like people think.
1: Okay, your clothing collection, though. Every time I see you. You're in Timberwolves gear for the most part, outside of a suit, like on game day. Your wolves wardrobe must be outrageous.
0: It's pretty sick actually. So, and we just had the big garage sale the other day for the foundation. Mm -hmm. Last thing I needed was more hoodies. The last thing I needed was more shorts. The last thing I needed was more polos and I bought three or four of each. (laughs) You can never have enough gear.
1: Well, if you're gonna wear it, you know, if you're gonna wear it and you do. Bounce it off, that's right. Perfect, perfect. Um, let's get to know you a little bit more personally. We've got some quirks that we need to iron out here. Oh boy. Oh boy. First of all, your it's interesting to me. Your Twitter profile photo is you and Lil Jon. Yes. Was because he had a performance here. He's wearing a Timberwolves jersey. Was that one of his, the halftime shows? It was a halftime show
0: during Super Bowl weekend. And so where this went from was Tyus Jones, one of our former players, great guy. His manager, who I knew pretty well, asked if there'd be any way Little John could meet uh, Tyus after the game. Usually that's a pretty tough request. So went through our game operations staff and they said, he's great, You know, for sure he'll do it. I'm like, oh, okay, well, how do, you wanna, how do you wanna put it together? He goes, he's up in the suite level right now. Just go talk to him. Just tell him what you're up to, he's fine. So I'm like, okay, that's usually not the way this thing goes. So he texts Little John, said I was on my way. He comes out of his suite. He sees me coming down the hallway. You must be Jeff. This is Lil wow. Jon. Come on in. Tell me about yourself. How long have you been with the club? Tell me about your kids. Really? Could not have been cooler. It was like
1: the mirror version of you.
0: So we connected. So we text every once in a while. Me and you Lil and Lil connected. John. Yeah, text? Yeah, yeah. So it was pretty awesome. And then he goes, so Tyus wants to meet me? This is unbelievable. This is great. He goes, when do you want to do it? I'm like, well, we'll do it after the game. He goes, well, let's go down now. And so we got probably like 20 or 30 minutes of quality time, just bonding wow. myself and Lil John.
1: <laughs> How do you greet him? You call him Lil? You call him LJ? You call
0: him L- LJ. Yeah. LJ. LJ. Yep. Yep.
1: That's because you're tight.
0: Yeah, we're tight. You're tight. We're tight. We go back.
1: That's your Twitter profile photo. The one in front, the one behind it is Chris Farley in his Matt Foley in a van down by the river character. All-timer. And I believe, you know, you used to know Chris Farley.
0: So yes. I don't know him personally, but I know people that do know him personally, including John Sweeney. Jiggling boy. Joel Maturi, the the former University of Minnesota yes. athletic director was his football coach. Mm-hmm. Which In high is school, right. part of his skit is based on Joel, which we've uh-huh. now talked to Joel about and he's admitted, yeah, he's taking a couple of liberties with some of my some <laughs> of my personality quirks, but yeah, I was, I was his coach.
1: So you have that Chris Farley Photo because you're a fan or because you like the connection that he's a friend of your friend?
0: My favorite SNL character of all time. Is Matt Foley? Is Chris Farley.
1: Okay, so cast member. Yeah,
0: Yeah, cast member. And I could probably say that's probably my favorite character as well. Okay. Farley's great. Oh, he's
1: genius. He was a genius. The best. Um, The spelling of your last name you sometimes put the two dots over the U. Is that like The authentic? umlauts go over the U. Yeah. So what? I
0: started doing this a couple of years ago because most people, if they don't know me, they call me, it'll be Jeff Munnake or or, or Munn. I can't tell you, it's still even with the umlauts over the U, there are still people that say, oh yeah, I know Munn or Minnesota Munn. I'll walk through the concourse, Minnesota <laughs> Munn. I always think that's kind of funny. So it's gotten way better with the two umlauts over okay. the U. That's certainly helped. I feel so bad for our kids and our future grandkids too. I mean, what a name!
1: How many different versions of oh, Munichi have you heard it pronounced?
0: There, there was when I was playing high school sports or college sports, that name would get butchered beyond belief. Mm. I heard Mukiaki, Munchkin, <laughs> uh, Munich, uh, Monkey. You've I've heard them all. Our poor kids and grandkids, I feel bad for them. Munichi. It's Munichi. Two umlauts.
1: Umlauts, yeah. I I, yeah. I went with dots, but you're right. Umlauts, umlauts yeah. Okay, got it. Um, <clears throat> your dad is a retired preacher, Yes. right? Your mom was a teacher and your dad is still 87 years old. Yes. And from what I've heard, one of these just generous, wonderful, beloved, well, like, well, he's still with us, so still that kind of a yeah, person. Yeah. But to me, that's the description of you. How much of yourself do you see in your dad?
0: Well, thank you, number one. That's awesome. You know, he, he's incredible. He is, he is like Gandhi. Honest to goodness, he is the nicest human being ever, ever. So to be compared to him is, is pretty cool You know, to, to have you say that. Um, he, he is just an amazing person. Everything is about everybody else, nothing mm-hmm. about him. And so when people talk about my mentors, my dad is number one for sure. Your dad. He's pretty You guys cool. close, you and your dad? He's pretty yeah. cool. He's yeah, pretty cool. That's great. Yep.
1: Your family, you have your wife is Julie. Yes. And you have been married 35 years. You had a photo on Instagram of the two of you, like an engagement photo, I'm guessing. You had quite the stash.
0: How about that feathered back hair? Yeah. It was quite a look. It was quite a look.
1: Um, so you and Julie have a son and a daughter, Tyler and Megan. Tyler just got married over the summer, um, or last summer. Did you request Jump Around at the wedding? Oh, absolutely.
0: absolutely. Isn't that your song? So there's a couple of songs that are mandatory for, for myself. So both all the kids just say, Dad, your playlists are the lamest. I'm just like, are you kidding me? These playlists kill. we got to play my playlist. They gave me three songs. So I had Jump Around, California Love, and Get Low by Lil' John.
1: Of course, yeah, LJ. Of
0: course, <laughs> yep. Again, we're tight
1: excellent so you like the dance floor though too right you like to get people out and
0: i think what the kids would say is that it's so embarrassing when i'm on the dance floor but i will get on the dance floor and make a complete fool of myself you love someone I'm willing i'm willing willing to do that for sure
1: and both of your kids are golfers you love to golf both of your kids work in the golf industry at pxg How often, when you get a chance, like in the summertime and it's the Wolves off season, how often will you play golf?
0: Boy, I'd like to say, you can never play enough. It's it's such a passion. I didn't start playing until I was 28. I used to think it was the most ridiculous game ever. And uh, going back to my early days with the Wolves, I was 22, we were all a bunch uh, of guys, 22, 23 years old. We had one Wiley veteran and he used to say, you guys got to start playing golf. We're like, what for? we're gonna play sandlot football, we're gonna play softball, we're gonna play basketball, we're gonna keep going. He goes, I hate to tell you, but you're gonna start to get hurt, you're gonna start to get older, you can't jump as high, run as fast, plus you gotta do it for business, plus it's fun. Yeah, whatever. So there's one morning, we had about 15, 16 of us playing sandlot football over at DSL High School. I pulled my hamstring, I think we had another sprain in ankle, we had a broken nose and a broken wrist. We we're like, we yes. should probably, it was the same game. football, same game. We we're like, we should probably try golf. So we all started at the same time and got addicted. So here we go. Yeah. So luckily, I have a family that likes it as well.
1: Yeah. And now you play when you can, as much as you can. As much which as we is can. It's never enough. Yeah. Never enough. I have seen, I've seen a lot of photos of you playing golf with Wolves players too. Jim Pete is a, is a partner of yours quite often. Yes. I've seen you with Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell. Josh Okogie, the former Wolf. Have you played with others.
0: Uh, Jalen, Jalen Noel. Okay. Yeah, Jay's pretty good. He's pretty got a pretty good swing, and Delo has got a great swing, mm. great swing. Well, He's Carl be can really drive good. it.
1: Carl can drive it 400 yards. I mean, these guys are. It was
0: athletes. amazing. So Jim and I, who I play with probably more than anybody, uh, we were with Carl the day he hit a 400 yard drive. We could not find the ball anywhere, and we finally just said, "Well, let's look behind the green," and sure enough, there it was which is 400 yards, is amazing shot.
1: Incredible, wow. Um, I've seen a lot of videos of you at the lake wake surfing. How long did it take you to master that?
0: Oh boy, so I, I, grew, I grew up being a water skier. And so again, you know, old age here, you know, that was what you did back then. Kind of, kind of reverted into a little bit of wake boarding. And then when wake surfing became a thing, we we're all in. First time I, I, you know, it's it's kind of freaky because you're right behind the boat. You can't hit the boat, but now it has become our passion. So I am just, I am good enough where I don't make a complete fool of myself, but I love it. It's so fun. Now, the Munich kids are all pretty good. They can do some tricks and some other things. I just try to do some really goofy stuff out there. I pretend like this is my name image likeness and try to post (laughs) to different companies. And I've actually had some companies respond.
1: Really? So you're holding products up. I've seen you do that. Like, hey, space available, advertisement.
0: Name image likeness. I've tried it with Red Bull. I've tried it with Dots Pretzels. I've tried it with some, some different businesses and products up near Walker Hackensack area. I had a fishing lure company come at me this year. It just said, all right, next summer take a fishing pole out there, throw, throw some of our bait on a hook. And if you can fish with it, we'll give you a free bait for the, for the summer. Like we're in done. Yeah. Deal. Done.
1: Done. So you're making something out of this hobby. It's it's
0: starting to work. It's starting to work. Yeah.
1: Uh, your wife told me that you are hoping to be the oldest wake surfer on your lake someday, which means you ain't never going to stop.
0: I got a ways to go. So I can't be the oldest water skier right now. There's somebody at 77 that's water skiing. Uh, a wakeboarder, I think I'm in the mix. And a surfer, I think I might lead the charge right now. I just got to hang on. I got to hang on a few you, more you years. You must be so proud. So proud. Yeah, yeah, so proud. <laughs> Much goals. to the chagrin of the Munich family. Yeah. yeah,
1: big goals. And your playlist is legendary as well behind the boat. I, I'm sure you've That's heard that. That's the rule.
0: That's the rule. If you're on the board, you get to pick the song. Mm-hmm. So every song I pick, I get a lot of grief from the Munichie family, but it's my playlist. It's killer.
1: Tell me, Mune, how much do you love your Blackstone Grill? Oh,
0: the Blackstone, game changer. Yeah, I've heard. So it's unbelievable. So uh, last year, we almost bought it at the end of the summer, and we went up and looked at it, and we just didn't pull the trigger. And the owner of the, the hardware store up in Walker, Minnesota, says, you'll be back at the start of the summer. And I'm like, yeah, we probably will. Well, we came back. And this has been a game changer. And so we got bacon going and we got hash browns going and we got eggs going and pancakes going. It's, it's pretty cool.
1: And you're done with the, the traditional grill?
0: We'll never see it again.
1: Burgers, brats, all that?
0: Everything's on the Blackstone. Mm. That should be my name image like this for sure. Because I am promoting the Blackstone there a, you lot, go. There a lot. There
1: you go. Now we're getting somewhere. Your wife said that you will watch reels on your phone of people cooking on blackstone oh God, okay. I mean, this is how deep you're in
0: all kinds of great recipes yeah next summer we're gonna have fajitas going uh, I have a bunch of new things I'm gonna try uh, some french toast we haven't done yet we're gonna try that some grilled cheese we're gonna try that mm. um, I've got the basics down pretty good and it is an absolute game changer for anybody that's came up to the cabin they agree okay. so from my endorsement I believe we've sold four more <laughs> so I should Just be today. getting name, image okay. like this on this thing for sure
1: okay yeah, again, goals. You're you're yeah, right, striving. Right, yeah. You're striving and I love it. I think that people who know you know this. Hopefully people who are watching this figure this out, but you gush positivity, you gush friendliness, you gush connection. Like you are such a people person and you thrive on it and you pull it out of other people as well. That is you to the core. Do you agree with that?
0: I think so. I'd like yes. to, I'd like to believe so. Um, you know, it's really interesting because it's, it's all relationships, right? And it's, it's the, it's the, the, the single thing that drives me every single day here for the Timberwolves and the Lynx is it's a situation where that orange sphere has brought everybody together and it just happens to be a basketball. Now it could be a hockey puck or a soccer ball, whatever, but I'm glad it's basketball. Cause I love basketball, but the relationships that come from that are just the best just the best. And again, I think I referenced it once before. Every conversation, treat everybody like they're the most important person in the room. You're going to be just fine.
1: But even you, Mune, has to have a bad day, or maybe it's a bad hour, or maybe it's a bad minute within a day. When you're having a moment and you need to just release it, like what does that look like? Where do you go? How do you you let off some steam?
0: Uh, That is a great question. I'm probably doing something with our two wiener dogs. I've probably taken the wiener dogs for a walk. I probably have my playlist going or a podcast going, and it's just getting away for a couple of minutes, or perhaps here it's uh, maybe walking out of the office and going to get a cup of mud, as we say, a cup of coffee with some of the the crew here, which we do usually every afternoon at two (laughs) o'clock.
1: You say with a smile.
0: Oh yeah, for sure.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I had read a quote from you that, when you first got this job you said if i can last in the nba for five years that would be great it's now been 34 and a half years how about that yeah 34 plus That's crazy. how yeah. have you not only lasted but thrived With the Timberwolves and Lynx for 34 plus years.
0: Yeah I remember thinking that I remember when I first got hired I couldn't believe it and I was just like all right don't screw it up just stay there for a year and then it becomes the the second year and then it becomes five like oh my goodness I might be able to stay for five this is amazing and then you know I've always said that number one you have to do your job well and so you have to learn you have to ask a lot of questions you have to produce especially in the Mm -hmm. sales and service teams or area uh, but you also have to treat people well, too, and build relationships. And I, I think that's what's, again, driven me and probably been my success is the relationship piece, mm-hmm. as well as doing a couple of things right. A
1: couple of things. Yeah, A couple of things. Well, I think there's a reason you've been around for as long as you have, and that you are such a valued member of this organization, because you bring people together and you bring happiness and you help fans enjoy Timberwolves games, the, the ones that have walked through the doors, if they've had a good experience. It's probably got your fingerprints on it somewhere.
0: Well, we'd like to believe so. And we have so many great team members that we get to work alongside to create that experience. And we always say, we can't go make baskets. We can't make coaching decisions. But we can control and own how we treat people. And so if you think about that, if we just do that, we've won the game. Okay. And we always talk about being the friendliest building in sports and entertainment. That's what we strive to be. We want to be known as the Nordstroms of the NBA or the Zappos of the NBA or Targeted of the NBA. And I think we're making some good strides there.
1: Well, you've been behind it for the entire time. You, Mune, you are A1 from day
0: one. Well, thank you. For real. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks for your time today. This is great. 100. Honored.